Well, good morning. We are uh, continuing to go through Leviticus today, and uh, again, it's it's not a book that is often preached. It's not a topic that is often addressed. Uh, but again, there's there's a richness to God's word, and all of it is valuable. And that's what we've been trying to discern: is you know what is it that that God is expressing to us in this? And it, it's a law book. So there's a lot of rules that we've been covering, and I know that can feel very bland. It can feel very boring at times. Uh, so the exciting part is today uh, we get the one little piece of narrative in the book of Leviticus. We get the, the one little piece of story uh, in this part that we'll have a chance to read through. Because uh, I'm sure most of you, like when you get a new car or you get a big fancy television or some other electronic, you know, I, I don't see most people like get home and start flipping over the policy or procedure manual and start going like most people are like, yeah, I'll figure it out on my own. Uh, so today we have a little bit of story here. We get a little bit of break. But what we're going to get a chance to see uh, is we're going to get a chance to see the the real example, the real life uh, aspect of God's holiness uh, in work. So we're going to be in chapters nine and ten. Uh, if you want to flip over to chapters nine and ten. Uh, but again, we've we've been going through it. And so far, we did chapters one through seven and part of chapter 22. Uh, we were dealing with the rituals. Right. How, how do we become ritually holy? How how is it uh, that, again, I'm able to enter into the presence of God? And then after that, you had all of these different feasts and festivals. We talked about the land. And again, all of those were reminders to the people uh, about how to uh, praise God and recognize his holiness of what he's done, uh, of what he's done for their provision and for their protection. It was a, a way to constantly have an attitude and a heart for God uh, as they went through. And then last week, we introduced the role of the priest. So in chapter eight, uh, we talked again about how was it that they were able to then enter into the presence of God. And then in chapters 21 and 22, we talked about what was it that they needed to keep doing to keep living in that actual holiness, right? How were they supposed to be acting on a day in and day out basis? Uh, and we talked again about that significance of that priest being that mediator that stood between us and God and the role that he fulfilled. So chapter eight, we have consecrated the priests. Right. We, we've 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 sanctified them. They've washed. They've put on the clothes. They've they've been sprinkled holy. They've sacrificed. They put the blood in. And it's pretty much like, OK, now now you're ready to do your job. So essentially what we're looking at is day one of the job for the priests and the Levites. OK, day one. So in chapter nine. They've prepared the they prepared the festivals or I'm sorry, the sacrifices. They've now gone before the tent of the meeting. And in verse six, it says, then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. That 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 if we want to be again in the presence of God, if we want to experience the glory of God, this is what is required of us in order to fulfill his holiness. And so they needed to obey that. And then in verse seven, 
Moses said to Aaron, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So, so he's, he's passing this on to Aaron here now. And he says, again, look, this is your job. You're going to make these sacrifices. We're going to make atonement for the people. Okay, this is the job that you are supposed to be doing at this point. Now, verses 8 through 22, I'm not going to read through all of that. But essentially, that is now Aaron making all of the actual sacrifices that was required of them. Okay, and so he follows the procedures, all of those procedures that we talked about in, in chapters one through seven. He follows those. He, he sprinkles the bloods on the, on the animals uh, and, and the parts are burned up and they're supposed to be parts that are supposed to be eaten by the priest. Remember, we talked about how, right, as part of the, the because of the job of the priest, they would get to eat some of these different animals. So they make the sacrifices and now we come to, get here, there we go. Now we come to 22 to, to 24. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell face down. So through the obedience, the instructions of God's word and through God's gracious and merciful nature, the people are blessed and they get to see the glory of God come down and consume the offering. And when that happens, what do the people do? There's a shout of joy that the presence of God has shown up. And as they recognize the presence of God, they also fall down on their face, recognizing the God that is before them. And that word consume is actually the idea, like literally somebody is consuming food. It's this idea like they've come down and they've just devoured the food that was there. So this was like God coming down and God eating his portion. And remember, fire throughout the scriptures is always the symbolic presence of God. And so really what we have is this. We have this understanding that the people are coming before God in humility they're recognizing his sovereign authority in their lives, understanding that he is the protector, he is the provider for everything that they have. And then this offering to them, to God, is essentially going, God, we want this covenant relationship with you. This relationship that you talked about, this offering to you is on behalf of our desire for that relationship. And we understand that in order to be in relationship that we are sinful individuals, we understand the demand for your holiness and that's what we want to aspire to, Lord. So God, we are seeking your forgiveness. God, we, we are asking for you to be merciful in our lives. And we are obeying what you commanded us to do. And so here, God, this offering says all of that to you. And when the fire comes down, what is that? That's essentially God saying, I accept your apology. I am satisfied and I will offer you 
forgiveness and we can have that loving covenant relationship, you and I. Now, of course, this only lasted until the next time they, they sinned, and so they have to come to the altar again and provide other sacrifices. Um, but God was gracious, and God was always blessing, and God was always forgiving. And so every time they sinned and they said, we want that relationship, they could come before God, and every time God would come and he would consume that and say, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. So the Israelites are off to a really good start here in chapter 9, right? Day one of the job, right? The, the God has come down, God has forgiven them, and then we come to chapter 10. Remember, it's still day one. Verses 1 and 2. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. So Aaron had four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So his two oldest sons make a decision here. We're going we're to take the censer, which again, we could put some incense and some fire in there and we can wave it around before the Lord. For whatever reason, they thought that would be a good idea. And so they, they bring this unauthorized fire in. And in in chapter 16, we get a little bit more of the picture as well of what's actually going on. In chapter 16, 1 and 2, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So, so this offers a little bit more as to what happened uh, in this circumstance. And when it says an unauthorized fire, what that means is it's actually a strange fire, something that essentially God did not understand or recognize that was being brought before him. So they had an unauthorized offering at an unauthorized time at an unauthorized place. So, so Aaron's two sons basically said, God, look, we've brought you something. And God's like, I didn't want you to bring me that. And they're like, look, God, we're, we're coming before you. And God's like, I didn't want you to come before me. And they step into God's holy place. And they're like, look, God, we brought you something. And God's like, I didn't want you in here. And so what happens, the fire of God comes down and takes the life of Aaron's two oldest sons. And so now we see the fallout of this. We can move on to verse 3 here. Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of. Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all of the people, I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. As a result of their disobedience and their disrespect for God's holiness, God takes their lives. And God is basically saying, he says, look, I'm not joking. I don't care if this is your first day on the job. I told you what I expected and you did not follow suit. 
And you dare try to enter into my presence in a manner that was unworthy of who I am. That will not be tolerated because I am a holy and mighty and powerful God. And you need to understand that. Now, again, if we think God is being harsh here, let me just back up to Exodus for a moment. So that way we we get an understanding that this is actually not the first time the Israelites have experienced this call uh, by God. In Exodus 19, remember, he brings Moses up to to Mount Sinai because he's going to provide them the law. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai and all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. Right? God has already laid out this idea for them that if you come into my presence and I don't allow that to happen, there will be a consequence that will cost you your life. And in Exodus 24, the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. Did you catch that in there? Who who already was to come and observe God from a distance? But it was Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. They've already dealt with God in this fashion where God said, you can see me from afar, but you can't come into my presence. So this isn't like the first time that they've ever heard this command before. It's kind of like if if I went down to Washington, D.C., and I decided to push my way through the gates of the White House or go over to England at Buckingham Palace. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm just going to go ahead in there as if I'm just allowed to do it. Well, we all know what's going to happen, right? The moment that I get too close, the moment I enter, I cross that line where I'm not authorized to be, security is going to be all over me. And if I continue to fight my way through to try to get to the president or to try to get to the king of England, I'm pretty sure that somebody's going to shoot me on the spot eventually. Because I do not have permission to be in a place of authority like that unless that permission has been given to me. So these deaths are a reminder to us of the awesome and holy power and the way that God is to be respected. But let's continue to see what happens here. Verses 3 through 7 now. Again, Aaron has remained silent. And Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan and sons of Aaron's uncle, Azel. And he said to them, he said, come here. Carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, outside the camp as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not let your hair become unkempt and do not tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community. 
But your relatives, all the house of Israel may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing is on you. And so they did as Moses said. Now, I'm sure Aaron has to be in some state of disbelief. He just literally watched his two sons get consumed with fire and fall dead on the spot. And so Aaron is silent. And Moses says, look, come here, get your cousins, get them out of here. We can't have them in the presence of God anymore. Let's go, hurry up. They're still in their tunics. There's no time to to change or any of that. Just get their bodies out of here. And I don't want you to mourn. Everybody else can mourn. But Aaron, you priests, I don't want you to mourn. I don't don't want you to tear your clothes. I don't want you to cut your beards. I don't want you wailing and screaming like everybody else. No, you're going to stay right here in the presence of God. That's what you're going to do because you've been set apart. And so really what this is in this moment is a a moment for Aaron to decide. What is he going to do? Is he going to listen to the commands of God? Or is he going to mourn his children? Because it becomes a matter of God's judgment. Do I accept what God has done? Or am I going to question his authority. And I think Aaron's silence is a recognition of God's righteousness. It's a recognition that says, I'm not going to question God. I'm going to do what I've been told. Despite the fact, God, that you've just taken my two older, my older boys, I ain't going to question that. And when those bodies are carried out, And they're carried out in front of all of the other Israelites. That is a reminder to every Israelite that is looking upon those bodies to say, again, my my holiness will be treated with the utmost respect. And any sort of disobedience will be met with this type of consequence. And so every Israelite that watched was reminded of that. Underscoring his desire for disobedience, hatred of sin, and how God hates evil. And so in verses 8 through 16, Moses is like, okay, listen, we messed up. Let's, let's flip the, the counter back to zero of, of injury-free days on the job. Let's go back to zero. Let's, let's try this again and let's get this right. Okay. Listen, you are supposed to make the sacrifices. Do you hear me? You are supposed to make the sacrifices this particular way. You are not to be drinking on the job. Do you understand? We can't have anything impeding your judgment. You are to be consecrated. You are to be teaching the people. So Aaron, you're going to do this again. And you're going to do it the right way so we don't fall into the same problem again. So prepare the offerings, sacrifice them, and then eat and sit in the presence of God. Can we do that? We can do that, Moses. Or so that's what Moses thinks happens. Now we come to verse 16. 
When Moses inquired about the goat of the sin offering and found that it had been burned up, he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's remaining sons, and asked, Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary? It was most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the, before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary as I have commanded. So Moses finds out that you, you guys didn't eat. I told you exactly what you were supposed to do. Why did you not eat the part that was assigned to you? I mean, didn't we just see what happened when we violated the laws of God? Aaron, do you want more of your children to die? Aaron, do you understand that by you not doing this, you potentially are endangering the entire community of Israel because you disobeyed what you were supposed to do here? I'm sorry, I'm at a loss here, Aaron. Can you please help me understand? So Aaron gives his response in 19. Aaron replied to Moses, Today they sacrificed their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. But such things as this have happened to me. Would the Lord have been pleased if I'd eaten the sin offering today? When Moses heard this, he was satisfied. He says, look, Moses, we, we made the sacrifices. We, we are asking for forgiveness from God. We, we want to be in that relationship with him. I, we did all of that. But Moses, you saw what happened to me today. I just lost my two boys. I know I'm not supposed to be mourning, but inside, I am broken up about this. I've lost my children. And if you want me to sit and eat, I just can't. Because see, here's the thing. My heart is not in a right place for God. My, my, my attitude is just not in a, in a right spot for this. I made sacrifice for, for, for the community. I get that. But where I'm at in my heart... I can't eat in a manner that's unworthy to God. It would be like if, if Aaron came before God and was unclean that he had done something and then decided to make an offering to God. God wouldn't have been pleased with that. And he says, Moses, that's what's going on here. I'm called to give my best. I'm, I'm called to give everything to God. And at this moment, I just can't. And so instead of offering God something that is not worthy of him, I'm just going to step back for a moment. And what does it say? He was pleased. He was satisfied. You know, God, God desires obedience. He desires holiness from us, right? And we can oftentimes look at these sacrifices and go, does it seem like by them making the sacrifices, that's, that's how they're getting saved? That there's some sort of works-based element that if they just do the work of a sacrifice, they'll be saved? No, what this continues to help us understand that it's not about the work that we do for God, but it's where our heart is towards God. That our obedience, 
Our desire for holiness must always be preceded by a heart for God. You know, it's, it's easy for people to come to church because we think we're supposed to. It's, it's easy for us to say a prayer when we're in trouble and then calling on a miracle of God to show up. It's easy for us so often to, to, to do the work that God calls us to do because we feel good about ourselves when we do it. And we do it when it's convenient for us. It's very easy to fake spirituality and it's very easy to fake religion. But what you cannot do is you cannot fake your heart before God. Because that is what matters in our relationship with him. So Moses was satisfied. And notice there's no other further punishment from God. So I think that leads me to believe that God was satisfied with Aaron's response as well. So we have this one element of story in the book of Leviticus, right? Everything else is law. Next week, we'll go back to learning about the rules again. But this is the one part of story where God says, I want to just I just want to capture what this actually looks like. We have one offering that's done that heeds to the command of God. We have another offering that neglects the commands of God. And I don't know the motivation of, of Nadab and Abihu. I don't know if it was pride, if it was impatience, if it was jealousy. I, I, I don't know if maybe they just thought they were actually doing right before God. I have no idea what their motivation or their heart was. But what I do know is they brought an offering to God that was not considered holy. And there was a consequence for that. But see, here's the thing. What did we see in chapter 9? That when we live in obedience to God's commands, when we, we strive for God's holiness, we are blessed and we see the glory of God in our lives. But when we defy that, that is an act of treason before a king and that treason deserves death. You know, in the book of, of Hebrews, and we did this some time ago, again, he's, he's trying to lay out for them, listen, Christ is better than anything you can imagine. Christ is better than the angels and the message of the angels. Christ is, Christ is better than the covenants. It's better than the, the temple. It's better than the, the priesthood. It's, he's better than Moses himself. And when he gets to chapter 12... He says, now that I've explained all of that to you, here is how you are to faithfully live this out. And he says, look, he says, when the Israelites came to Mount Sinai, they came to a mountain that they were not allowed to get too close to. They came to a mountain that they could not touch or they would die. But he said, you don't live at that mountain anymore, guys. He says, you're not at that mountain. You're at Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is, is the mountain of the holy and living and true God. And you can approach that mountain whenever you want. Because Christ is our mediator between us and that mountain. 
And when he went to the cross and he died, that veil was torn. That, that chasm, that gap, that barrier, all of that was taken away. And he says, you can now approach the throne of God whenever you want. Because Christ's death on the cross spared us and ushered us into the presence of the throne room of God. But God also said, look, when, when that mountain shook back in Exodus, when I shook that mountain and you saw my power and the fire and the clouds that consumed that mountain, I want you to understand something. God is going to come back and he is going to shake this world again. He is going to come and he's going to bring judgment upon this earth. But here's the beauty. That those of you that are in Christ, those of you whose lives, whose hearts you have given over to him, you won't be shaken. You are on a firm foundation in his kingdom for all of eternity. And then he says in 28 and 29... He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptingly with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. When that fire came down and it consumed the sacrifice from Aaron that was a fire of acceptance. But when that fire came down and consumed Nadab and Abihu, that was a fire of rejection. God is both love and justice. We know that. That is the character of God. And God is righteous in all that he does. But how we live in relation to God allows us to see which part of God's character. That if we live with a heart towards him, we experience the blessings and the love. But if we defy and reject him, we see the justice of God that shows up in our lives. And so this fire is a demonstration of the holy and awesome power of a covenantal king. One commentator said it like this. He said, when mortal people see the power of an immortal God, they cannot help but to offer him praise. So what this message is again for us today, it's a recognition of just how awesome and mighty God is and the character of God. And when we know who God is, it should cause us to fall down and worship and revere him and fear him in a way that proclaims to him that he is our God and our savior because he is our consuming fire. Let's pray. God, again, this is a message that I pray that we do not take lightly. We are not callous towards you. God, I pray that we are 
conscious of, of this desire for, for us to live in your holy presence, to live in a manner that upholds your righteousness and your love and your justice and your goodness. Because Lord, when we step out of the bounds of what you've placed before us, Father, there is judgment. But Lord, when we live in and under your, your hands of protection, God, there is no greater life, there is no greater blessing than knowing that we are in your security and in your love for now and all of eternity. So God, I, I pray that your spirit now will do two things. Lord, we'll take some more time to worship and fellowship and song together to praise you. But Lord, I also pray that your spirit convicts us mightily. What is it that we do that does not honor you? Lord, how many times do we bring an unauthorized and strange sacrifice and offering before you that, Lord, you don't want from us? You demand something better. Break our hearts for you. Break our hearts for you in a way that causes us to live in a way that is different and that the world sees your awesome and mighty power. Amen.